welcome to Out of Balance, episode six. This is our season finale. Um, we are very sad to say that that's the season finale, but we're also very excited uh, moving forward into the summer and looking for what the next semester will bring. So with that in mind, um, this episode, again, brought to you by F News Magazine, and we will be talking about the things that we are looking forward to this summer and beyond. Uh, my name is Ben. Uh, Past the rock, Pappleham. <laughs> that was good. I should have been thinking about this and I didn't. So now I'm caught off guard. Uh, but I'm Cap Petray. And so I have a built in nickname because my real name's Catherine. So there you go. Um, I'm still Aiden Bryant. Uh, tune into season two to find out what my nickname's going to be. Uh, hanger for everybody there. <laughs> keep this engagement up, you know, keep the numbers going. All right. All right. <laughs> I will tune into season two and I will be, my ears will be burning for that sweet, sweet nickname. <laughs> um, so first off, I'm going to talk a little bit about the playoffs um, because right now we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs and just the starking um, difference from last year to this year. Obviously last year, a lot of the playoffs were played in the bubble. Um but when I was thinking about it, one of the things that I realized made last year for me for the NBA so uh, special was how much they talked about social justice. But if we kind of remember what happened with the NBA and the WNBA last year, they were put into the bubble and there's this big controversy with where a lot of players didn't know if they even wanted to play. You know, some players had this discussion of should we opt out and just strike? Um after the Jacob Blake shooting, the Milwaukee Bucks actually um, boycotted game uh, five against Orlando Magic in the first round. And the WNBA players also received, um, I don't, Kat, maybe you can weigh in. I can't remember what their award is called. I know the NBA, it's called the NBA Community Assist Award, and usually that's given to an individual player. Um, is the WNBA also called the Community Assist Award? I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was awarded to, um, you know, like the WNBA as a whole instead of an individual player. But the concept and the kind of idea behind it is the same. It's just one of the coolest things I thought they did. And it's a small thing, but I thought it was impactful um, was that they allowed all the players last year um, in the bubble to opt out of putting their last names on their back of their jerseys and instead put uh, phrases like, um, Dorian Finney-Smith for the Dallas Mavericks had equality. Um, Robert Covington, when he played for the Rockets, had Black Lives Matter. Uh-huh. I'm just scrolling through the list because they actually had um, every single player put up what their names were. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovic, when he was playing for the Sacramento Kings, had uh, Slobata, which is Serbian for freedom because obviously the Bogdanovic family's from uh, Serbia. Um, and I thought that thought was really, really cool about last season's playoffs, despite, you know, the bubble and everyone not, and fans not being allowed in, was the sense of unity that happened across the league, across the players, where it just felt like there was an unprecedented amount of just agreement among the league as an institution, but also the players. And usually those, those don't coincide what, what the priorities were and what messages they wanted to uh, present to themselves and fans. And this playoffs, I was kind of curious about, it got me down this like rabbit hole of exploring what do what does the NBA and what does the NBA players um, do 
for social justice initiatives that we don't get to hear about all that much. You know, I think some of the community service, some of the charitable works that the players do, even though, for example, Drew Holiday, um, point guard for the Milwaukee Bucks, he and his wife donated the rest of their salaries um, this past offseason, over $5 million to Black-owned businesses and um, Black-owned nonprofits. And they did that again, I think it was to the sum of $1 million um, back in, uh, was it March? I'm pretty sure it was March. It was either March or April. I'm going to say March, um, where they donated $1 million. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about for the future is one thing I'm looking forward to is seeing how the NFL responds. I know that is quite the jump, but when I was just even looking online, the NBA Cares Community Assist Award, they give out an award every single month and they make a point to spotlight and provide a lot of details about what each, where the money is going, what the player does in the community. Um, this past month, um, the community assist award for April was Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers um, with his help with his respect program, where he has a couple high schools in his local area that he sponsors and he goes and follows up on the students and gives rewards and um, does initiatives to help further success and build real world life skills and prepare them for college. And I think that's amazing. Just even learning about what players are involved in outside of the game, I think is really interesting. And I think that, you know, the NBA might be becoming my favorite sport um, and taking over the NFL, partly because I think I appreciate how much the NBA centers and focuses more of what the players are doing in the community. And I was actually comparing that with the NFL and trying to figure out what is it that the NFL does to, to promote what the players do. And it was a lot harder just from a website standpoint <laughs> to find stuff and figure out where all those articles were. The one interesting thing is that this past offseason, the newest thing that they did was they added to, to their website was a whole um, a whole page dedicated to social initiatives. But again, you kind of had to fish around for it. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, and this is being optimistic, what the NFL does to show what they've done this offseason. For the first time, the NFL has granted over over the next decade, they've promised to grant over $250 million to charities, grants, and matching uh, player donations. They've done a bunch of videos where they've, for example, the New York, a former New York Jet player, uh, Bart Scott, um, who is a linebacker, does a series where he talks about his, his involvement with the Innocence Project, which is a nonprofit in it. Um, organization that tries to use DNA testing to uh, free incarcerated people. Um, you can look them up there. I think they're a really great organization. I actually donate a small a small amount monthly because I just think what they do is really, really important. So I'm, I'm just thinking that, you know, the NBA does a lot of television spots for their Community Care Assist Award. They do a lot of in-game broadcast commentary on it. Um, I know that 
like Drew Holiday, for example, was featured during, I think, game two or three with his with his projects that he does in Milwaukee. And I, I was comparing to, to that to the NFL. And I'm like, they have done so much this offseason. I just can't imagine them not putting forth more effort on the field, on jerseys, on the broadcast, announcing. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm excited to see sports become more active in social justice initiatives. Um, and I really think that 2021, 2022 season um, for 2021, just in general, I guess, for all sports is going to be a difference and is going to set a new bar for the, for the upcoming decade. So looking forward to the future for me. I'm so glad that you've kind of brought this conversation up because I think it's so important. Obviously it's super relevant, but I think this is a conversation that's, you know, been being had for years and years and years. Um, I think there's this myth for a lot of people that for some reason sports and politics don't intersect or that they can't exist simultaneously, right? I feel like something that I hear often is like, you know, keep politics out of sports, like sports are just like for whatever. Um, and, and it's a myth, right? Sports have always been a reflection of our culture. Sports have also been at the epicenter of so many sociopolitical and sociocultural movements and experiences, right? When we think of desegregation and integration in the United States, baseball was a big part of that in Jackie Robinson. Sports have always been political in some space. And I think what we're seeing with the rise of social media and the internet and all of these athletes using their voices, the NBA and the WNBA, especially this past year, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, this upcoming season, 2021, 2022, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of changes and some really, really exciting changes as well. Um, so I'm glad you brought up this conversation because I think it's definitely something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Hope maybe the NFL won't, or won't, um, do some of the things I talked about, because I think they're, I'm also very curious to see what the future holds, maybe not for this season, but even just for like the future where, you know, Amazon is getting whatever feelings you have about Amazon, (laughs) Amazon for better or for worse. It does have a lot of games they're going to stream. They have full control over Thursday night football streaming games. And I'm just kind of very curious about the intersection of sports and digital streaming, where because it's online, you could hyperlink things. You can do so much more to have something advertised simultaneously. And so I, I, I think I'd be curious to see if Amazon's going to do anything where you have like the game screen, but like down below you could like view other links or tabs to causes or or things that the players who are like playing in that game on Thursday night would want anybody watching that game to to view as kind of like additional content. I don't even know if additional content's the way I want, but like important content, I guess, outside of the game. Um, and I'll be interested to see what happens there. Um, I mean, of course, in 2050, there's always sports is just going to be VR. You know what I mean? You put it on your headset and you, there's no TV, there's no streaming. You just put on your VR headset and you're like in the stands, right? Watch streaming the game live through your That's brain. <laughs> so. I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> um, but kind of moving on to things that are happening. Um, if you have listened to our previous episodes, which I'm sure all of you have, 
Uh, then you know I live and breathe hockey. It's my favorite sport. I love it so much. And so, you know, I, what am I going to do in our last episode? I'm going to talk about hockey. I'm going to talk about the NHL playoffs. So as we're moving on from season one, I just want to say my highest point is winning our jersey bracket with the Arizona Coyotes reverse retro. Uh, I wish you all could see Aiden's face right now because I'm sure he's still upset about that whole situation. It was my proudest accomplishment. It wasn't even the reverse retro. It was the just normal jersey. No, it was the reverse retro. With the purple. No, was, was it? No, no you, don't, you don't even know. You see, that's why I should have won. You don't even know what you won with. I think I just won for putting the Vancouver Connects flying V jerseys in, which I think almost made Aiden have a stroke. I do, I do love that so much. But anyway, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs are underway. So as we're entering the second round, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of preview the matchups. There's a couple that are ongoing, one of which is going to end tonight, and we're just going to go through it. So Beginning with the Mass Mutual East Division, the two first round matchups were the New York Islanders versus the Boston Bruins. Oh, excuse me, I misspoke. That's just going to be in the second round class, which we're going to preview. But it was the Boston Bruins versus the Washington Capitals. So the Bruins beat out the Caps. They'll be advancing on to the second round. Coming out of the regular season, the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals were one of those matchups that were relatively equal. You know, you could look at Minnesota and Vegas and say that, well, clearly Vegas had the upper hand, although. You know, we're going to get to them, and that isn't quite true. But the Bruins and the Capitals, regular season, they had split the series. Their leading point uh, scores were relatively equal. Their goaltending was pretty equal. Their special teams were pretty equal. The Boston Bruins, they made it out of that series. They will be facing off against the New York Islanders, who closed out the Pittsburgh Penguins in six games and will be heading off to the second round again. For the New York Islanders, this is huge. We haven't seen them really, you know, in the playoffs last year in the bubble, they really started to gain that traction. I think they're going to be a sleeper team. The Pittsburgh Penguins, obviously they have Sidney Crosby. They have Yevgeny Malkin. Uh, they have Chris Letang. They have Jeff Carter now from a trade from the LA Kings. He has had a reawakened season. I think this might be a sign that the Pittsburgh Penguins are kind of falling off that champions track. They were the leaders for so long. This might be a kind of sign that, you know, maybe there needs to be some off-season reworking. But to preview that series a little bit, here's what I think are going to be the main storylines for the New York Islanders versus the Boston Bruins. The Islanders, they're a low-scoring team, especially when you compare them to somebody like the Boston Bruins, who do have that goal-scoring ability, right? We're thinking of, um, you know, Brad Marchand and David Pasternak, that whole perfection line. So for the Islanders, they're really going to have to edge it in with goaltending. Um, and they're going to want to stay out of the box. Boston is a really physical team. The New York Islanders are not. They're going to have to find a way to kind of counter that on-ice physicality uh, and make sure that they are not getting on the penalty kill. Their penalty kill isn't that great. Their power play, also not great. So for them, really keeping that five-on-five -five game is going to be key. The New York Islanders, they have a suffocating defense, and they played really, really well against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are also a high-scoring team, right? Pittsburgh kind of lost because they don't really have that winning combo anymore of speed and physicality. Um, so for the Islanders going up against the Bruins, who have such a different on-ice narrative to them, this is going to be a really, really interesting series. Because the Islanders were able to shut down Sidney Crosby and Yevgeny Malkin, there's definitely the possibility that they can shut down Bergeron and Pasternak and Marchand. So we'll see. I think that's going to be an incredible, incredible matchup for the Mass Mutual East Division. Now, I'm going to turn it over to you guys really briefly. Who are you taking without any context? New York Islanders 
for the Boston Bruins? Uh, as someone who I know I was like, I'm going to keep up with hockey, going to be real with you, that didn't really happen because then it got really good. And I was like, what? We'll talk about that later. Um, I, my friends will be sad if the Islanders lose. So Islanders. I'm, I'm going to say um, Islanders because New York needs something to be happy about after the Knicks get obliterated by the Hawks. You need something. I listen, y'all. I'm gonna ask you for every series, so be thinking. The New York Islanders, I think, could really do it. But now we're gonna head off to the Discover Central Division, which is one of my favorite divisions, and this is a big thing. So the Carolina Hurricanes, which is one of my favorite teams, um, they will be facing off in the second round against the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You guys, I am so excited for this series. I am also very nervous for it because these are two teams who have the same on-ice identity. They have that speed. They have that physicality. They have that really quick neutral zone transition game. This is going to be an incredible series. For goaltending, I think that's going to be a big story. The Tampa Bay Lightning, they really only have one goaltender to rely on. So normally in the playoffs, you have, you know, you'll have your one goalie to kind of start Alex Ndelkovich, which was in for the entire six game series between Carolina and Nashville, but Carolina's goaltending, they have a ton of depth. They have Peter Morazic, they have James Reimer. All of those are above 900 safe percentage. They can be relied on in any circumstance. Tampa Bay, you know, they have Vasilevsky who has a 0.925 save percentage, but their number two, McElhinney, he has a 0.875 save percentage. So they're really only relying on one goaltender, which can be a problem if Vasilevsky gets injured, if he gets shaken up, if his confidence slips, or if Carolina kind of figures him out, which they had in the regular season. So goaltending is really going to be a big thing for them. Um, So that's going to be great. Depth is also a thing. Carolina and Tampa both have a ton of depth. They have that offensive um, defensive power. They have that, again, that transition game. For them, I think both of these teams are really going to rely on their star power to turn it on. Uh, They're both high-scoring teams, so people like Jordan Stahl, who is a captain for the Carolina Hurricanes, he's turned back the clock. He's a little bit older. For some reason, he looks like it's like 10 years ago. He's been playing great. If he's able to kind of keep it on and keep healthy, that's going to be big for Carolina. Brock McGinn for the Carolina has been a sneaky point getter. He has four points in six games. That's pretty big for him. He's got two goals. If he can kind of keep that going and keep that confidence up, he's going to be big as well. Tampa Bay is going to have a hard time shutting down a player that they're not really watching on the ice. And of course, you know, Carolina's big name, Sebastian Ajo, who was the point leader for Carolina throughout the regular season, same thing for the playoffs. He's got five goals, seven points in six games. That's awesome. Uh, and Marty Natchez, two goals, three assists, five points. So they're going to be big as well. Um, and they're going to be people that Tampa Bay is going to want to keep their eye on. On Tampa Bay's side, there was kind of, you know, a big storyline during the regular season that they were kind of trying to circumvent the flat cap issue. Everything that they did was legal, but it's still a question mark because Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, who are two of Tampa Bay's biggest players, did not play the entire regular season initially because of injuries. And then kind of, you know, the commentary was maybe that Tampa Bay was not putting them into their regular lineup because they didn't want to have to go over that flat cap, right? So they have uh, pay players less if they're on long-term, you know, injury reserve versus in their regular Lineup doesn't matter. We're going to figure that out during the offseason. The biggest thing is Kucherov and Stamkos are back and they're looking incredible. 
you know, Kucherov, he has eight points in six games. That's huge. Steven Stamkos, eight points in six games as well. They have returned to form. They're going to be really dangerous for the Carolina Hurricanes. They are two players who are really, really difficult to shut down. Victor Hedman, uh, he's got all the assists. He's going to be looking for a goal, and he's going to get one. So far, all of his points have been, you know, without a goal, which is big for him. Um, so he's going to be looking for that as well. And Alex Kalorn for the Tampa Bay as well. He's a beast in the playoffs. There's certain players who, you know, will be a little bit quiet during the regular season, but then they'll enter into that kind of beast mode for the playoffs. Alex Kalorn, he's a big playoff producer. He's going to be dangerous for them. So. For these two teams and this matchup, I feel like for me, it's so hard to choose a winner because they have that same kind of winning identity. Um, they have that deadly combo of speed and physicality, again, with that added benefit of high scoring. So we're going to see. I'm going to choose Carolina for myself just because like, I love that team. But who are you guys taking in this matchup? Uh, I'm going to go Carolina because I think all the, all the shit they were talking to the Predators on Twitter. <laughs> Carolina's Twitter team? They're great. They got great social media. Just like a 360 dunk, like free throw line, just yamming it. Like, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go them. Also, I don't know. I feel like a hockey team in Carolina has always been funny to me. So, Carolina. The next one that we're going to talk about, and this is the Honda West Division Minnesota versus Vegas. So, this is still within the first round. This is a first round matchup that is going to end tonight which I am very excited, but also nervous for. Um, and so the winner of this matchup will go on to play the Colorado Avalanche who um, swept the St. Louis Blues in four games. So Minnesota and Vegas, did either of you like watch this series? Have you guys been watching it? I'm going to say probably no, but have you guys been checking it out? I have not, but I will say I, I do have uh, feelings about both of these teams. I dislike both of them very much. The Colorado Avalanche, so... Colorado is very beautiful. Um, I love the state of Colorado. I also love the Las Vegas Knights logo, so it's a hard choice for me. I know that I just think the Vegas Knights are going to beat the Wild because I think the Vegas Knights this whole season, from what I've heard from other friends, have been really excellent. So I'm just going to assume they're going to win tonight and go ahead and lock in my pick and say uh, Vegas Knights will beat the Wild then beat the Avalanche. (laughs) You guys, they might. This series has been absolutely insane. It's been everything we've wanted. So I'm going to start from game five, which was a game that the Minnesota Wild, they had no business winning this game. They wanted, they were, they were, how? They were outshot 40 to 14. That's insane. Minnesota Wild, you should be ashamed of yourselves. That's a terrible win. But they won. Doesn't matter. Game six things turned around the Minnesota wild. They put on a defensive clinic. So kind of one of the big things, Vegas has trouble closing out series. We've seen this before and they have trouble closing out series at home. So this game seven is being played in Las Vegas. Can't remember the arena name is named. Doesn't matter. They're at home. If the Minnesota wild can kind of use that as a confidence booster and kind of get into the Vegas gold Knights head, that's a big thing for it, right? Hockey is a super superstitious sport. Vegas has trouble closing out series. They can't close them out at home. That might be something for the Minnesota Wild to build upon. So game five, excuse me, games, game five was terrible. Game six was incredible. So the Minnesota didn't look like they were generating much offensive power, but they got it going and they learned from game five. And I think that's the biggest thing for this series going into game seven. 
they understood that Vegas's transition game to the neutral zone is fast and is really successful. And that's where they can kind of force those turnovers and generate that offensive momentum. So what did uh, the Minnesota Wild do? They clogged up that neutral zone. Matt Dumba, incredible hit on Alex Tuck, right? So they really started to play into their own identity. The Minnesota Wild, kind of similar to the New York Islanders, can play a really strong defensive neutral zone play. And that sort of narrative for a game favors some teams more than others. The Minnesota Wild can play that suffocating defense in that neutral zone all day. Vegas can't. It does not work for them. So the more that Minnesota can you know, play that narrative and replicate everything that they did well in game six and improve upon the amount of shots that they're getting, I think they have a really great chance for game seven. For the Minnesota Wild, you know, it's not necessarily about how many shots they're getting. They're a pretty low scoring team in terms of shots on goal, but it's about the quality. If they're getting a shot, there's probably going to go in, right? We've seen them get, you know, they've won with 40 to 14 shots differential. That's huge. If they can get that first shot on goal and have it go in, which they have had several times, if they, you know, take three shots on goal and all three of them go in, which has also happened, that's huge. It's really about the quality of, um, of their shots. Vegas is really frustrated. You can kind of tell in the ice, these are two teams who do not like each other, which makes playoff hockey one of the best things in the world. Um, and, I, and they could really pull off the steal, right? Victor Rask, Ryan Hartman, Kevin Fiala, the longer the game went on, the more confident these players became, the more shots they were taking and the better offensive opportunities they had, right? And, and even for Minnesota in that last game, they had two goals on the wild side from the bottom six, you know, fourth line players. That's exactly the kind of energy and offensive potential that they're going to want to bring into this elimination game. For the kind of the major storylines going into game seven and, and sort of throughout this whole series, Max Pacioretty and Ryan Reeves are both still out for Vegas. They are missing him. Ryan Reeves, physical player. He will knock you down and into next year. He's a big guy. He elevates that physical game. He's not on the Vegas Golden Knights roster. He's out. And so that's been a huge difference for them. And that's been um, allowing the Minnesota Wild to kind of get that edge in and kind of, you know, set the tone of physical play, which has been working in their favor. Max Pacioretty, he's a goal scorer. They're missing him. They need those goals, especially with Cam Talbot, you know, the Minnesota Wild's goaltender being as great as he is. So they've really been struggling to kind of get on the scoreboard. For Minnesota, Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, I love that his nickname is Dala Dala Bill Kirill. I think that's phenomenal. Rookie Phenom. He's a shoe in for the Calder this year. He's been incredible, but he's been a little bit quiet this series. Um, and the same could be said for Alex Tuck of the Vegas Golden Knights. Both Tuck and Kaprizov in this next game, they could be difference makers for the team. So they're definitely players that we're going to want to keep an eye on as they face off for the game seven tonight. Uh, so by the time this episode airs, we'll know the outcome of that matchup and who will be facing off against the Colorado Avalanche. I can't believe neither of you are gonna take Minnesota in this game seven. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Minnesota now to lock it in because then I can just edit and post after the game's over and be like, I'm just gonna, this is my prediction. <clears throat> <laughs> Minnesota Wild beat Las Vegas Knights. I I don't know. There's no there's no question about it, you know. But in all seriousness, no. I think you convinced me, Kat, to change my mind. I'm gonna unlock my locked prediction because I think defense wins championships. I think that holds true in any sport. And so, from what you said, it really sounds like the Minnesota Wild are locked in defensively. And you know you can't win if you don't score. So I don't think 
I just really think momentum is really big in sports. And from what it sounds like, what you've been saying, the Minnesota Wild are really hot right now on the defensive side, and the Vegas Knights have just gotten cold. Um, so yeah, like shooting 43 shots and not winning, I feel like feels like it means the whole team is frustrated and just is trying too hard uh, to be like the hero in that series. So I think the Wild will win tonight. I also agree with that. Um... I don't know. I just I don't like either of these teams. I have I have issues. Uh, you have such strong opinions on every team. I feel like I love the Wild. What don't you like about them? Well, one, my, my girlfriend's from Minnesota, so I have to not. So okay. it's kind of fun. But also, I remember I was like, "All right, hockey's back, baby." I got like a week off work. I'm gonna watch some hockey, and then they were like, "Yeah, the Wild gave the Avalanche COVID. They're not gonna play." I was like, oh, cool, okay. And then I didn't have everyone watch because in that like two weeks period, that's when the Knicks started like really heat up. So it's like, I just I still have a vendetta. So <laughs> I hope it's a while until the Avalanche can go pick some. Some money. some people are fair weather like supporters. Aiden's a fair weather fair weather hater. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does change. It changes very frequently. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that later, but you know, yeah. I'm always hating. I'm always ready to hate. Always ready to hate. Yeah. Sports. Only in sports. I got to have that hate somewhere. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the Vegas Gold Knights. I feel like they just, they, they're just, they try too hard. You know what I mean? I'm like, just chill for a second, please. And with your gold helmets, those are terrible. Get rid of them. Um, but moving on to the very last division, this is the Scotia North Division. So this is the entire Canadian division. Obviously, that's not typical for the NHL or the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's a product of COVID. We will not be seeing it next year. Um, I'll be perfectly honest. I haven't really been following the uh, North division all that much, mostly because their games don't get broadcast in the United States as frequently. So that's not my fault. Um, But the biggest thing was that the Winnipeg Jets uh, swept the Edmonton Oilers in four. That was huge um the Winnipeg Jets have looked fantastic all season they completed the sweep against the Oilers who have really struggled for another year to kind of make strides in the Stanley Cup playoffs right they have the two two of the best hockey players in the world right now in their prime Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid it's and it's big that the Jets were able to effectively shut them down the whole way through um and it's another missed year for the Oilers Game four, I personally was really expecting the Oilers to win because I was like, they, ha- they have to win at some point, right? Did not happen. Um, it was a super intense game, but I think this whole series kind of exposes the lack of depth for the team. Drysaddle and McDavid looked great. I mean, their top players were in great form. They were playing their best. It wasn't as if they were having a sloppy play. It's just the fact that they don't have enough depth. You know, they're relying so heavily on their best players that they were overplaying them, right? And it's pretty typical for playoffs, especially in those really tense elimination games for coaches to play a short bench. Um, but I mean, even into the OT, Darnell Nurse, Connor McDavid, Dreisaitl, they were being way overplayed and you could tell. This series, I think, more speaks to the unresolved issues for the Edmonton Oilers that they have to address in the offseason. Um, and like the strength of the Winnipeg Jets more than like that the Oilers suck because clearly they don't. Um, but I think the biggest thing is a lack of depth. You could also say goaltending is an issue for the Oilers. It's been an issue for like the last five to eight years. Um, so there is going to be some big offseason 
movements, I think, for the Oilers in terms of lineup changes because they have to, right? Um, this isn't a product of the team not gelling. This isn't a product of the team not working well enough together. It's just about the fact that they need to kind of find that identity, solidify it, and build a team around it. Um, and they've been trying to do that for the past couple of years, still is unsuccessful. So Winnipeg Jets, Oilers, that was incredible. The Jets are moving on. That's decided. What is not decided and will be the last to be decided, um, you know, obviously is the Vegas and Minnesota matchup is ending tonight, um, is Toronto and Montreal. The Toronto Maple Leafs lead the series 3-2. Last night, Montreal won it in overtime. This is make or break for the Leafs. Neither of these teams I really watch. I don't like the Toronto Maple Leafs purely on spite. I work with a lot of Canadians. I have a lot of Canadian friends. Most of them are from the Toronto area. They fucking love the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're so obsessed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's not their year. I'm sorry. If you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, just chill for a second. Just chill. Just relax, okay? Like, people are so obsessed. Anyway, um, I'm not a Leafs fan. I don't, I don't really watch them, but this is really big for them. Um, if you've been watching hockey, then you've probably seen the just really awful incident. It was an accident with Corey Perry. It was like a knee on head collision with John Tavares, who's the captain of the Maple Leafs um, two games ago. And he, thank goodness, is fine. He was actually back uh, in the building for light on ice practice yesterday. He was up in the press box for the game. So it was really good to see him. So that seems to be working out well. Um, and yeah, I mean, for Montreal, Cole Caulfield, who is kind of like the leader coming out of the double IHF uh, juniors men's world championships. He's been awesome. Nick Suzuki had a great night. Needs to work on his faceoffs a little bit, um, but Montreal for them, it's really about the defense Their defense, their entire defense hasn't gotten a single point in this series as of yet. They need to really start generating. Not so much offense, but really kind of become playmakers um, and sort of direct the pace of play. And that's going to lead to assists and kind of bigger offensive potential. For the Toronto Maple Leaf side, William Nylander, he has had no luck in the last night's game. He's going to want to get the back of the net. He's going to be trying to make that kind of offensive push in the next game. Sandine for Toronto. I would be really surprised if we saw him on the ice for the next game. He had a rough night. He had some bad turnovers, two of which led to goals for Montreal. I think he's going to be benched. He's going to be replaced in the lineup. I'd be really surprised to see him on ice. If that or his ice time is going to be really, really cut down, this is not the time to kind of make those rookie mistakes um, and have those messy games. He's going to be shut down, I think. Um, and then Zach Hyman. That whole line, they've been snake bit through the playoffs for goals. They're going to be difference makers kind of leading into this next game. I think if you're going to be watching this series, keep an eye on that entire line because they're going to really want to make that sort of explosive potential happen um, because they've got nothing so far. And then again, for Toronto, their whole thing has been goaltending. Is it going to be Frederick Anderson now that he's back? It's not. It's Jack Campbell. He's kind of solidified his place in net. Freddie Anderson is on the bench. I think it's going to be Jack Campbell as the number one continuing to go forward. So Toronto Maple Leafs, Montreal Canadiens, who are you guys taking? Silence. So far, we're thinking hard. I'm going to, I'm going to go Maple Leafs here. You're going to look, okay. Got, That's a classic you know, choice. 
I mean, I'm just looking at the score of the Maple Leafs and Canadians, 2-1, 5-1, 2-1, 4-0, 4-3 overtime, game six and, um, coming up on Saturday. I mean, it feels like it's been a tight match for the most part through these games, one-score games. Based off of what you said and how they play each other, I think I'm going to go with the Canadians, actually. Oh, I think are. the Can- yeah, I, I just I, I like upsets, but also because I think that's always dangerous. You know, Montreal is going to be home game six, and I feel like that's going to be tough for the Maple Leafs to win game six. Um, based off of their styles of play, I'm going to go with Canadians. I'm probably very off there. No, I feel like that's a good read. <laughs> this is a hard one. Um, a really fun stat for this series has actually been that the road team has always gotten the first goal. In the series, there is like something to be said for like home ice advantage. Um, so since I'll be playing in Montreal, I think we're kind of expecting Toronto to get that first goal, but that first goal doesn't necessarily mean anything. I think, oh, I think in my heart, I want to go Montreal Canadiens. And so I think I'm going to choose them, but I feel like this series, it could go either way. It could definitely go either way, but that's what we're at with the NHL playoffs. Um, I'm going to quick plug where you guys can find me because this is our last season. So if you're interested in listening to me and an Emmy award-winning producer, uh, talk about the NHL, the NWHL and the PWHPA and conversations like this and about hockey culture, you can check out our podcast off the ice. That's a shameless plug. I had to put it in there, but I mean, NHL playoffs, that's what we're going. And we will see tonight whether or not we just jinxed the Minnesota Wilds versus the Vegas Golden Knights. There's no worry. We're all wrong. All three of us. Right. You know what I mean? So like we'll lock in the wild. And just so we have it for the record and we can hold it to you forever, Kat, who are you picking to win it all out of the 10 teams left? This is going to make Aiden very happy, but it's the Colorado Avalanche. Ooh, interesting. (laughs) I've watched about three games this season, but I'm start watching more. I promise. Let's go. I think they could do it. I want to say Carolina Hurricanes. I want to say them so bad, but I think I'd be Avalanche. They've gotten so close the past couple of years. They definitely want it. I forget. I did a whole bracket too. I forget everything that I put on it, except for the fact that the Colorado Avalanche were the winners. If you could point to one thing that makes you think the Avalanche could win it all, what, what would you say is the one thing that, makes them gives them an edge over other over other teams i think it's the confidence Mm. they swept the st louis blues they have everything going for them last year in the playoffs their biggest thing was injuries goaltending was hard they had a lot of injuries there grubar was out they all have defensive injuries everyone is healthy everyone is playing to the best of their abilities they have people like Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, Gabriel Landeskog. Their goaltending is hot right now. They have everything going for them going into this playoffs. And they're building off of that momentum from the St. Louis Blues. And they're rested because they've had a huge time off because they swept that series and are waiting for everyone to finish up. I think they have a lot going for them. I think the Colorado Avalanche could really do it this year. And I deeply apologize to them if they get swept in this next round. <laughs> By the Minnesota Wild, who of course by the Minnesota Wild, yeah, of course course beat the Vegas Knights. (laughs) Um, My final question about hockey then is: I always love this question because I think it's so much fun. What if you could name one team that made the playoffs this season? 
but barely kind of squeaked in and is already eliminated, pick a team that you think should just burn it down and just full-on rebuild. You know what I mean? Because like the Edmonton Oilers, you said, yeah, it sounds like a culture problem. Maybe tweak the coaching staff and that gets them farther. But you kind of said the Pittsburgh Penguins sounds like they might need to just burn it down. I, yeah, <laughs> they're so hard. In my heart, I wanted to say the Nashville Predators, but I can't do that to them. They played pretty well against the Carolina Hurricanes in the last two games. I think it's the Pittsburgh Penguins. They were on top for so long. And I think we're kind of still expecting them to have that star quality. But the nature of the game changes just as the players do. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, they're older. They're in their like early 30s. They're still great. But the uh, kind of hockey that they played and were really successful with 10 years ago is not the kind of hockey that's being played now. The game transitions, right? And so what we saw in the last two Stanley Cup champions, which was the St. Louis Blues and the last of the Tampa Bay Lightning, the identity of a winning team is a combination of high scoring ability, speed, right? A really quick transition game and physicality. The Pittsburgh Penguins, they have that high goal scoring potential, but they don't have that speed and they don't necessarily have that physicality. So the identity and the narrative of the game that the Pittsburgh Penguins are playing isn't the narrative that has been proven to win and has proven to be really successful. And if you have a a type of defense and neutral zone play that the New York Islanders and the Minnesota Wild have, you know, if you don't have that, which has been, uh, has proven to be a foil for that kind of winning combination, then you're kind of out of luck. And so that's where the Pittsburgh Penguins are. Their core wants to stay. They don't really want to go into, you know, a, a total rebuild and I don't think they need it, but I think that there needs to be some, you know, lineup changes um, in order to kind of shake it up a little bit. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are definitely going to need a retool in the off season in order to get out of that first round. Yeah. Um, kind of like the Orlando Magic did this year. They made the playoffs last season and said, we're just constantly making the playoffs as the eighth seed. We're just rebuilding everything. I feel bad for Pittsburgh fans because it's like Pittsburgh Pirates have been burning it down for the last like three decades. Pittsburgh uh, Steelers seem like they're going about to completely rebuild their team. Um, but hey, we don't care about Pittsburgh. <laughs> we care about the New York teams, right, Aiden? We care about New York. Let's hop on our imaginary airplanes east and let's go to New York to talk about the Knicks. I will say, because you brought up the Pirates, uh, everyone listening and you too as well should go look up the Pittsburgh Pirates um, Chicago Cubs play that happened yesterday. It's the funniest thing I've seen happen in baseball. Oh, Javi Baez? Like, Javi Baez. going we, from first to home for no reason? Well, there was a reason. Props to Javi, it worked. <laughs> it worked, but like, oh, shit. I don't understand how it worked. Um, but yeah, that, that's a classic. Um, I think I wanted to start with like, you know, there was a lot I could have talked about. We all got to kind of pick our own thing. And, you know, a lot, a lot of great stuff happened in baseball right now. A lot of great stuff in mixed martial arts. But obviously, number one has to be uh, my New York Knicks back in the playoffs. Um, so essentially, there we go. Yeah. So, like, from when I first started about them, like, talked about them on the podcast, like, you know, they were okay. They were looking up, promising. Um and it's just really been up and up since then. You know, we have Julius Randle blossoming into a real star. You know, Derrick Rose in a bit of a career renaissance right now. RJ Barrett really making the turn and becoming just a, a great threat, shooting 40% from three. Uh, Bullock and Alec Burks also becoming great three-point threats. 
Um, and, you know, Taj Gibson continuing to be like a solid fundamental big man. Um, more importantly, get out of the, the stats and, you know, the, the boring stuff. Um, you know, NBA playoffs started. Uh, first playoff game for the Knicks in eight years. The garden was pretty full. And I'm not going to lie, first game, low rough. We lost by two. Um, Julius Randle played he looked like 2019 Julius Randle. And I was just like, oh no, like, what's going on? He was supposed to be good now. He looked bad. Um, you know, the plays were not there. Uh, they put my boy Frank Nilakina in and he just did not have a good possession on Trey Young at the end of the game. Um, and, you know, Trey Young was burning us um, in the way that he does, which is by, you know, just like taking James Harden, James Harden level flopping and just, you know, distilling it to the highest degree um really really playing with the medium you know just i don't like training I, I think it's bad basketball it's it's not good for the league um for him to just be flopping around all over but you know it was a hard loss and many of my friends were just like okay this is yep this is what was meant to happen we're you know we look good and now we're going to make it to the playoffs and it's just all gonna it's all gonna fall down um as expected i was i was very negative um but then game two, um, something that happens in the country. I'm a very big uh, Safdie Brothers fan, uh, Uncut Gems, Good Times, some of my favorite movies. It was the nine-year anniversary of the Dayton Uncut Gems where Howard Ratner, Adam Sandler's character, made that crazy bet on the Boston Celtics. Uh, I believe his spirit was flowing through us. The game was very much like a Safdie Brothers movie because I hated, I was just very anxious for the first half of it because the Knicks were just getting the absolute shit kicked out of them. We were down by like 15 at the half. Randall was not doing anything. No one was really doing anything. It was terrible. Um, I also somehow hurt my neck in the first half of the game. So my neck hurt. I was just sitting like, I really almost turned the game off at a point. Cause you know, we were down 15 in the garden. The crowd was so quiet and it was just really demoralizing. But somehow we pick it up. We start coming back. And we had been making little flurries, but then like, you know, they would hit a three and we'd be like, oh, okay. But we just, I don't, just pulled it off. We pulled it through. And then I think the, the culmination for me was, and I think this really talks about why this Knicks season is so special. You know, Obi Toppin, he was the, the eighth pick this year. Um, he's been, you know, disappointing quite frankly, but he also hasn't had a place because Julius Randle has been playing so well. He's subbed into the game. He makes a nice block. We end up with an advantage. I think we had a four on three fast break. He's coming in. Burks has the ball, just oops it up. And I think we have to link the video because it's, this is the loudest I've heard a sporting event um, since COVID started. We had around like almost full capacity, but it, it was absolutely insane. Uh, real cathartic moment. We end up winning by like eight, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of tension in the garden, a lot of, a lot of yelling at Trey Young, a lot of Trey Young hatred in New York right now, the most hated man in New York, I would say. Um, it's really just been crazy. I don't know what, how to feel because it's it's just like the Knicks. It's up, it's down, we're good, we're bad. Things just seem to happen with no reason. Um, I'm just excited to see where it goes. I really feel like we could make some noise in this playoffs. Uh, I did read before this that if we win this series we're most likely going to play the Sixers which I'm honestly a little confident about that's a better matchup for us than uh 
the the Bucks or Brooklyn. Um, although I want Brooklyn, that's who I want. Beating Brooklyn is more important to me than winning the NBA Finals. Honestly, fuck Brooklyn. They're everything wrong with New York. It's ridiculous. But I don't know. We're in a great place right now. Uh, I haven't been this excited about Knicks basketball in a while. Um, it's just weird for them to be good. You know, you expect them to be bad for so long, and now they're good. And it's like I don't know what to do. I gotta yeah. ask you, Aiden. Um, since you're clearly like the resident Knicks expert, what has been their key to winning this year, right? Like, so what in their play can you point to as an example of like that successful formula? I would say one bench scoring has been very big for us. Uh, our bench really carried us in the, the win against Atlanta. I would say our offense runs through Julius Randle, but it only works when he plays like 2021 Julius Randle. He cannot play like old Julius Randle because he can't hog the ball. He has to be distributing. When he started finally passing in the second half of the second game, it started working. Obviously, another thing is like, I don't know why we keep starting Alfred Payton because he's trash and he's just terrible. Um, but we need Derrick Rose in the game or quickly. Just we, we need that fast-paced point guard running through. Um, and honestly, I think I said it earlier, underrated contributor has been Taj Gibson. And our centers, uh, Gibson and Noel, have both been really clutch. Gibson just like classic fundamental basketball, really grinding it out. And I mean, Noel, I, the only guy in the league to average uh, two blocks and two steals a game this year, really been key defensively, especially with, especially with Mitchell Robinson down. But he has been upgraded to a game-time decision. So we could be seeing Mitch back. That would be huge. Um, I don't know. This team is so multifaceted because, uh, you know, famously, I believe it was uh, Bullock or Burks was like, oh, the Nets have a big three. We have a big 15. And we do. It's really every guy on the team stepping up. Even Theo Pinson. Shout out Theo Pinson. Hasn't played a game. The, the best hype man. Great Twitter follow. Just keeping the energy up. That's really what it comes down to. This is real team basketball. I don't think I've seen a Knicks team like this. And if this team really goes for it, I don't think I've seen a team like this that doesn't have – I mean, Randall is our biggest star, but he's not a lead. He's not a LeBron or a Giannis or anything. This is team basketball. I think this is really beautiful basketball. This is how basketball is meant to be played. Um, and it's great, you know. I think also Thibodeau really instituting a culture because we just had no culture for so long. And now, we, you know, this is a team that works hard. We've got guys in the gym all the time, off days, travel days, doesn't matter, in the gym every day. Um, it's just been a full turnaround. It's just, there's so many things going on that I don't even know, like, oh, this is why we're winning. It's like a full reboot. You know, like if you want to talk about like, oh, how did the Golden State Warriors like have a good season? Like, well, they gave Curry the ball. <laughs> like Curry just popped, Curry was just on fire. You know, and they have a great team besides that, but you know, Curry is why they're winning. The Knicks, it's just, I would say, you know, we're no warriors, but we're, we're looking pretty good right now. We just, everyone's contributing. It's really, it's really great basketball right now. Yeah, I would totally agree that I think watching the Knicks and the Hawks these past two games, to me, the thing that stands out the most is definitely the coaching that I think Thibodeau just has everywhere he goes, he builds a culture of just leadership and players playing for each other if the Knicks win this series is going to be, I think on the coaching staff on the Hawks and not making the adjustments and not getting the players as prepared as they should be. Absolutely. I feel like this is a very new school versus old school kind of series. Um, and I mean that, in, I think there's a lot of great players right now that are really elevating the game and like 
make like not only like the culture and like the that's because I mean like the way the game's played. Like you look at like a Luka Doncic or like I just forgot about every other player. Oh, like John Morant. I think John Morant and Luka are great examples of like a modern way of how the game's played. Super electric Zion too. But then you look at Trey Young and it's like I, I'm biased, but this man is just flopping all over the court. Like it's just not fun. I'm not here to watch them. Look, all I'm saying, Trey Young plays like the 1994 New York Knicks. He doesn't make it out of the building alive. But he would, they would have just eaten him up. <laughs> like it would have been bad. But uh, we don't do that anymore. But I don't know. I, I think the Knicks are, are a bit of a throwback in a way. It's very hard-nosed basketball, very defensive basketball. And it, it just works. It's just working for us. Uh, I think it could really uh, – I think we could really make some noise here because I think the top three teams in the East are all very unproven right now. You know, um, we have the Nets who on paper, great team, but there's no leader on that team. There's no leader. You know, I think you swap out Kyrie or um, Harden. Well, I would swap out Kyrie for Jimmy Butler, although he's been looking. Oh, but even then, like he's a leader. Butler is a leader. They, the That's Nets fair. have no leader. That's fair. There's no, no one on that team's a leader. Um, and then I feel like, you know, the Bucks and the Sixers, they're both still fairly young-ish, you know, like obviously we're entering uh, Embiid and Giannis is primes, but I wouldn't say they've really gotten to the prime level yet. Like they're not on the LeBron level or even like when Jordan was winning championships, they're on the cusp. So this is going to be a make or break time for them, in my opinion. But I think the Knicks could really make an up some upsets here. You know, We're, we really have a team mentality and I think it's going to be very interesting. I'm not going to say get ahead of myself or anything, but I feel like we really could end up uh, surprising some people. Yeah, uh, and Bar- Barring the Washington Wizards coming back down 2-0. And by the way, shout out to Russell Wilson and Bradley Beal and that squad of the Wizards for going on that one of the best runs I've ever seen in NBA history uh, to make it into the playoffs to begin with. And then going against the 76ers, that's no fun. Um, 76ers are probably going to win that series. And then if the Knicks win, they would play the 76ers. So if you, I'm thinking about the matchups and I'm like, the Knicks, have a decent shot, right? Because nobody in the 76ers outside of like Johnny Green is a great three-point shooter. Um, they do a lot of post play. They do a lot of um, scoring inside the paint. I'm curious, Aiden, do you think the Knicks have a shot at stopping Embiid in the paint? Is Julius Randle a good defender? Or would they have to put somebody else on him? We wouldn't put Randle on him. I would say we would most likely put Noel or Taj. Uh, if Mitchell Robinson is back that could be interesting but Embiid's game has developed so much this season that it's really going to be an interesting matchup I think the way to honestly this is like more of like a like a mental game thing the way to beat those top three teams in the east is just because I feel like we do have that grit we have that leadership and I feel like the top three teams in the east really do have high meltdown potential it could all blow up you know as great as Giannis is, as great as Embiid is, we haven't really seen them have that moment where they've had to lead a team. They've all really kind of crumbled. Giannis crumbled against Jimmy Butler and Embiid crumbled against Kawhi Leonard. Like, this is going to be a make or break a year for them. And I feel like the Knicks could have that same sort of energy. We're a tough team. We're going to drag you out. We're going to beat you down. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think the... I think the East people are underestimating how tough is going to be to come out of the East. Everyone's talking about the West and right now, John Morant, the way he's tearing up against the jazz or the Kawhi and PG's uh, meltdown with the Clippers. And by the way, 
Clippers are my team. They're gone. That's get them out of there. That's the Clippers happen. are my team this season. That if they do not get out of the first round, it's time to tear it down and rebuild because that team isn't working and it's not going to keep. Why come to New York? Come to New York, baby. Gosh, out of the West, I'm going to say that I think it's going to be Dallas. I think it's going to be the surprise. I think Don should Luca Luca's on a on a on a, on a streak that is unmatched. I think. Looking at the matchup, they get past Clippers. They play the Jazz or the Grizzlies. I think Dallas is a better team than the Jazz in the in the postseason. Denver probably will be Portland, and then it's a toss up between the Suns and the Lakers. Probably Lakers because of the LeBron factor, but I think the Nuggets would beat the Lakers based off of the season. LeBron still hurt. Anthony Davis is still playing hurt. So I think it would be Dallas versus Nuggets. I think Dallas would beat the Nuggets because the Nuggets are really injured right now because they don't have Jamal Murray. So I think Dallas makes the finals. And because I'm biased and I'm a Bucks fan, I think the Bucks make the finals. <laughs> but I do agree that they do have meltdown potential. If Giannis gets cold, if, you know, Chris Middleton gets cold, we saw Chris Middleton um, take over in the bubble last season. But he got cold the season before that against Toronto. Brooklyn could very easily could beat Milwaukee just because of their scoring potential. Um, I th- yeah, I think if it's not Milwaukee, I think it's Brooklyn. I I I apologize. I don't think the Knicks are going to beat the 76ers. I think so. I think Simmons' defense is going to shut down Julius Randle. I think it's going to be a problem. Ben Simmons could not. I would probably shoot threes at a better clip than Ben Simmons. Like, well, yeah, but his defense—that's what I mean. Like, I think but, Simmons' but yeah. defense over Randall is going to be hard. But if if look if the offense is going through Randall, it doesn't matter if he scores. If he could just distribute the ball, underrated, <laughs> underrated playmaker. Like he's no Jokic or anything as far as a big man goes, but he could pass the ball. So I just feel like if the Knicks were in the West, like let's say they swap it out, I'd be like, yeah, no, we're not making it out. But the, <laughs> that's so like it just screams meltdown. I have no faith in any team in the East to maintain a level of consistency. Yeah, even the Knicks. I have no faith that we're going to maintain any consistency, and we've shown that already. So it's who can keep it together long enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really how I feel. All right, my my final prediction for the NBA is going to be Mavericks versus the Bucks. I think the Bucs will win because, again, I'm biased. The one reason I think the Bucs, like, objectively have a good shot is because they're switching on everything now, which is something they didn't do. And they are the only team that I believe – because, like, Embiid can't switch on, like, Trey Young, for example. He can't switch on um, on Derrick Rose even, right? But, like, the Bucs have a lineup where you put Giannis – PJ Tucker, Milton, Drew, and Connaughton out there, and they can switch one through five any 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 uh, screen, and I think that's going to be tough on the Nets, especially um, trotting out like you know a passes prime DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin. That's going to be tough for them. So I think the Bucks switching defense is going to be be the difference. I would say the Bucks have the best chance, in my opinion, because the Nets are just, in my opinion, an implosion waiting to happen. There's too many big personalities there, and there's no leader. So who is who are we really? Who's gonna? 
what happened there? I mean, when James, I love Harden, but when James Harden is your leader, that is not exactly inspiring. I do not want him to lead me into battle, you know? It's, uh, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens if, say, the Bucks like, win game one, or even just the Bucks lose game one, but then they win game two, and the way they win is that Harden misses, like, 20 shots or something like that. That's going to be a real interesting locker room after that game. So, uh, NBA finals is going to be really interesting this year i hope i didn't just jinx my team but <laughs> yeah you know, yeah next um i'm i really i really would like to see derrick rose just take over that team and become the superstar that everyone in chicago wanted him to be back in the day <laughs> it is going to be interesting i for one can't wait we got a game in about five minutes <laughs> so let's go next we don't gotta wrap it up. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Got to wrap it up. If uh, you know, this is this will be great because if they somehow melt down and lose, this will be a great like before the fall. You know, <laughs> they can point to this recording and be like, "Look how happy he was." Aiden's like, "We gotta get this going." <laughs> I just, Aiden, all I want is for you to like live stream your reactions to Nick's games, or like live tweet it somehow because I can only imagine. That it is an animated affair. You're gonna have to get on your Twitch stream and um, live chat with your. <laughs> it's just, I don't even know how to get do back that. to you. It's like <laughs> I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I'll have to think of a word. I'll have to invent a new word. Link live chat. You're watching Knicks tonight. I'm watching Minnesota. This is today's. Tonight's the night. We may have just jinxed our teams, or we didn't. We'll find out. <laughs> it, it's like a whole emotional roller coaster experience. I guess with that being said, um, this has been the first season of Out of Bounds, brought to you by F News Magazine. Thank you so much for listening. Um, once again, my name is Ben Passarock Pappleham. Oh, shoot. That was so good. Oh, I keep telling myself to think of one, and I should have. Um, this is Cappy Trey. This has been wonderful. I've had so much uh, joy recording this podcast. Again, Vancouver Connects Flying V jerseys, they're great. Don't let Aiden tell you anything differently. They are the best jerseys of all time. Um, and we very nearly solidified that. You can be wrong. And I'm Aiden. And this has been Out of Bounds, Season 1. Thank you so much for listening. Before we go, as always, thank you to 11AI for the use of their song Blur from their album Q Time 3. And a special thank you to Jade Shang for the use of her cover artwork for this podcast. Thank you.